0: welcome to the into the wilderness podcast this week we're taking a step back from hunting and we're bringing you an, inv- an adventurer and explorer
1: we, we like to do that now and then we like to bring you completely different people yeah we did we, your friend people. came on uh, early on in, uh, yeah we uh, i think it was episode three we brought um my friend chris uh, royal navy diver and he was following in shackleton's footsteps and if you haven't heard that podcast go back and listen to it we also had laura bingham on and she was currently cycling across South America. At the time we actually spoke to her, she's now completed it. So we bring you Sean Conway. We do.
0: A lot of people will have seen him in social media in recent weeks and months. He has a really big following and a a big presence there. He was also on the news. There's going to be a uh, discovery show out about him next week, uh, all about his um, attempt and successful
1: completion of the world's longest triathlon. Yep. We met Sean only a few well uh, three, months ago, two, eh? 3 months ago. two 3 months ago now when he was actually on his cycling leg of the world's longest triathlon he had a GPS and uh we found him he was he was cycling probably 3 miles away from our house. <laughs> uh so we went and found him on the GPS and uh we had a little uh, sign, find your beard, and he Just stopped right. We gave him some sweets and some uh, some juice to to get him on his way, and we got to see uh, his bamboo bike as well, <laughs> which he talks about in this podcast actually. Uh,
0: and he agreed he would come on the podcast, and true to his word, he did. And I'm really glad he did because it is it's an inspiring story. There's no two ways about it. If uh, If you
1: ever want to be inspired to do something that you truly love and get out of the rut that you're in, listen to this podcast because it'll do it. Now, for those that don't really know who Sean is, which I think most of you actually will, to be honest, he has done some incredible things throughout his life. Not not just the world's longest triathlon. He is also the only person in the world to swim the entire length of Britain. 900 miles in the sea absolutely crazy he's also climbed up Kilimanjaro in a penguin suit and also a huge amount of other things which we all talk about in this podcast we talk about I think a huge list of his adventures that he's I, done. I think we pretty much tick uh, most of them yeah, yeah we tick we tick most all, of them. all the major
0: ones and uh yeah he's got a bunch of books which he talks about at the end if you want to know more about any of the adventures we talk about that is probably the best place to find it yeah he has books that he can sign yes him? he did say that if uh, he doesn't really do any signing so if you want a signed book you have to email him so just google his name you'll find his website email him and you can uh, buy a book from him and he will sign it he had a big stack in his boat he was in his boat when we, <laughs> when we did this podcast uh, but it was actually one of the clearest lines we've had for a very long time now we're going to talk prizes yes we are Two weeks ago, we said you could win a Caldwell shooting rest. At that point in time, it hadn't arrived yet, but it is here now. So for those people who watch on YouTube, I am going to hold it up. If you give me a second, it's rather heavy.
1: We give away prizes every two weeks on this show, and this is a monster prize. Byron's holding up for the people that are watching on YouTube. It's currently not assembled. But yeah, it's a Caldwell shooting rest. And all you have to do to win this is on the pin post on the Facebook page, tag a friend. That's, that's all, it. That's all you have to do. It's as simple as that. And uh, the winner will will be announced on the next podcast. Yep.
0: Tag a mate, pin post on Facebook. Uh, we decided we were going to run this over two shows because it's just such an awesome prize. I don't really want to give it away. In fact, I'm going to go and give it a, a wee test and assemble it. Uh, I just opened it for the first time today. It's uh, pretty awesome, and the prizes keep getting better. So don't don't miss out, and make sure you enter because this this has to be one of the most impressive prizes we've given away to date. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, we're not going to keep you any longer from the interview with Sean. So. Remember, follow us on Facebook, download this on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube. And thank you very much to our sponsors, the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Find them on Facebook as well. Enjoy the show.
0: Sean, thanks very much for joining us on the show today. I know you've had a really hectic schedule. Uh, It's not like you're, you're not a busy man at all. Uh, we bumped into you while you were doing the world's largest triathlon just down the road from our office. We, we came to see you because we saw where you are on your yep. on your cycle route. Fine. <laughs> yeah, find your beard. Um, we want to hear a little bit about what you've done prior to what everyone knows you for now. But let's start with that. Let's start with the world's longest triathlon. First of all, why on earth did you decide to do it and talk us through that journey and the challenges you faced?
2: World's longest triathlon. Well, you know, firstly, I'm a firm believer that we all in life need to have a really physical goal that we find a little bit out of our reach. You know, I think it's super important. I think without that physical goal in life, I think we get a little bit lazy and comfort kills ambition and all those sayings that other people have coined over the years. But it's so true, you know. And for years, throughout my 20s, I had no physical goals in life. I never signed up to a marathon. I didn't play any sport. I wasn't a, you know, didn't play football or anything. And I was miserable for it. So, you know, over the last few years, I've been doing various challenges quite a lot in the UK. And, and I was just looking for the next big thing, you know. And to, over the last sort of five, six years, um, I swam, cycled and ran Land Zone to John O'Groats. But they're all individual challenges and there was years of gaps between them. And the next stage for me was to combine swimming, cycling, and running, my three favorite disciplines in one epic, long triathlon, you know, all back to back. And, you know, that's how I kind of came up with the idea, really. And uh, truthfully, if I'm honest, the first thing I did is I looked at other countries around the world, like Australia, America, or India, various things. And but something just drew me back to, to Britain, you know. it's a—I genuinely believe it's the best island in the world. There's so much cool stuff going on here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And that was it, really. I just kind of thought of following the coastline.
0: It was, I've pretty much followed it through through all of your social media that you were doing when when you had the the opportunity to do it while while you're doing the triathlon. I mean, it's the the distances are quite hard to really get to grips with if you have never walked or or run or swam any great distances yourself. So just try and put that in perspective for people who maybe don't even know the normal distances for a triathlon. <laughs>
2: um including me actually. I've never done a triathlon. Um what is a triathlon? I genuinely don't know. Uh, I, know an I think it's fifteen fifteen like hundred meter swim. I'm sure it's a fifteen hundred well, meter swim. I, I did
1: it? one in Abu Dhabi and it was 1500 meter swim and then I think it was a 50 god it was kind of a shorter one so it was a 50k cycle and then a 20k run I think that's what I did so so not even half a day of what you were doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
2: yeah yeah so I, I, as I said I genuinely have never done a triathlon or, or an Ironman man or anything um, but mine was 3200 mile bike ride hundred eight hundred and twenty 820 mile run I think in the end and a 115 mile swim So, I think someone worked out that it's about thirty times an I or twenty-five times an Ironman in distance. So, but all in one go. It's not like I did twenty-five Ironmans. I did, you know, just twenty-five times the distance. Really,
0: it's one thing that I found quite incredible is that you did that, but you did it totally unsupported. I mean, how on earth did you manage that?
2: Yeah, doing the unsupported thing is kind of important for me. From from a sort of to inspire other people that they can do it too, you know. I think if I'd done it with a massive van and support crew and people in high vis jackets and people handing me food, I think straight away 80% of the people watching it would have gone, "Well, that's brilliant," but actually, there's no way I can convince four of my mates to quit work for three months <laughs> and drive a van following me because um, it's just not many, not you know, not many people have access to that sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas
2: everyone has access to go and save a bit of money, buy a rubbish bike. Um, get some trainers, get a backpack and go off and do these things, you know, and that's kind of the philosophy around doing it self-supported. And, and also it does mean you can live the adventure you want to live. And we're all human. And when you have a support crew following you and they're tired and they want to start, you, you know, you're naturally going to have some sort of sort of middle ground of where you change your adventure. Um so being self-supported was important for me to have the adventure I wanted to have. And also to hopefully inspire other people that actually they can just go to their shed and go off and do it too, you know.
1: I wanted to talk about your, your bike because it wasn't actually a normal bike that you took. It was custom made for you <laughs> and it wasn't made out of conventional materials that you yeah. probably traditionally uh, get in a bike.
2: That, so basically, I, again, I didn't want to do it on a £10,000 race bike, which, you know, again, not not many people have op- you know, the opportunity to, to sort of spend that sort of money on a bike. Um, I wanted to do it on a bike that really was potentially not suitable at all. Uh, <laughs> so I decided and, and landed up being not suitable at all. Uh, I, landed, I went, went for a bamboo bike. And firstly, mainly because I saw a picture of one on the internet and I fell in love <laughs> with it. I was like, that is awesome, I want one. Um, but actually, it was also super sustainable. I was supporting a charity in Vietnam, getting unemployed women, mothers into work. And it was all it all just kind of worked for me, you know it was it it just showed that you don't need the best kit in the world to do something you know I annoyingly it did make me take a week longer on the cycle <laughs> because of various things which you'll 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 find out when you watch the show and uh but you know she had character, Matilda and I <laughs> you know. We, we had some good adventures together, but by the end, it was very much a love-hate relationship. We,
0: we can attest to the fact it was real bamboo, because we, we, we saw it <laughs> with our own eyes.
1: Now, now you're, you're cycling. I felt very, very sorry for you. We were sitting in the office, and I could see you making it up the west coast of Scotland, and I was looking out of our office window, and it was snowing heavily. It shouldn't have actually been snowing that time of year. I felt very, very sorry for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, when you plan these adventures, you look at everything, you look at weather, terrain, food availability, all these sort of things, where you're going to camp, how you're going to camp. And honestly, when I thought April, I'll be getting good weather, you know, I'll be, so I packed lightweight sleeping bag, lightweight kit, didn't take any thermals or anything. And then as you you know, most people know, we had that freak freak week of, of bad weather pretty much all over the country. I think it even snowed in London in April, you know. Um, And I just wasn't prepared, and I was hit with seventy mile an hour headwinds. I actually got blown off my bike at one point, Um, and didn't have the clothes. I actually landed up going into a a a hardware store and buying gardening gloves uh, and some like gardening over trousers just to stop the sleet because it was like shotgun pellets. You know, there was hailstones sort of shotgun pellet size just hitting me in the face. I remember cycling along with my hand like this, just trying to look through the gap. (laughs) just so that i wouldn't sort of get your only
1: protection the beard that was it
2: (laughs) it was good it's just the eyes you know
1: (laughs) now i want to talk a little bit about swimming me and byron are both swimmers i've done a bit of open water um and for the people that don't know you were towing a sled to be fully unsupported how was that in the water that must be it must have been horrendous horrendous
2: horrendous. awful yeah awful Uh, um yeah the self-supported swim idea was wasn't very clever at all, <laughs> I'm honest. Uh, I I immediately regretted it after the first 100 meters. It was just so slow. You know, I had certain time, I always like to have a time goal in my adventures, otherwise I, I personally feel it becomes a little bit of a holiday, you know, if you're just gonna take a year to do it, you know. So I really, I wanted to push it as hard as I could and you know, I thought, right, hopefully I can do the swim in about, you know, 10, 12 days probably actually. Um, but then within the first day, I realized that actually that was going to be much longer, which was really depressing at the end of being, you know, out for like 65 days already to then realize I was probably going to swim for another five five to seven days longer than I was hoping in that freezing water. You know, the water was doesn't really warm up until sort of September, really. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was... Yeah, it was tough, you know, because it's about 15 kgs, I think, the whole thing, in the end, which you've got to drag through the water, and every time a wave came through, it would just, you know, stop dead, and i have to keep on going, you know, so you're you you know, you're making good pace, one wave comes through, you literally, I remember the bits where it was shallow enough for me to see the ground, I was literally going backwards, not far, probably only a few centimetres. But it's enough. There's nothing more depressing than, you know, making a, a metre, and then going back a few centimetres, and then having to build up that momentum. You know, as you know, momentum counts for a lot. It's just yeah. Getting things moving at the beginning is, is the effort. So, yeah, no, that was, it was tough. What,
1: that. What kind of distances were you doing each day in the water?
2: Very tidal. You know, when the tide was good, I managed, I think I managed 11 or 12 miles in my biggest sort of morning session and probably seven or eight in the evening uh, when the tide's good. If the tide was bad or the wind picked up, I was sort of only pushing about five miles, five, six miles in each tidal session. So you got about three or four hours of maximum tide to swim in.
1: Hmm. Because, and what, what were you doing for food and water during that time?
2: Yeah, I was kind of just going to shore, you know, because I part of my logistics was swimming along the south coast, which is all beaches, so yeah. you, you can't go to shore. Um, so I'd sort of, I my raft was too heavy, so about a week in, I had to go and buy one of those granddad trolleys, you know, like yeah. granddad, pull <laughs> behind them. took the bag off, gave it to charity, and then tied the... Bloody trolley to the raft. So actually, once I got to shore, I could drag. Oh,
1: you could trolley it.
2: The, back. The, he'd drag the trolley up and down the beach um, to go and get food, and yeah, I looked really weird. Um, I could just. I,
1: could,
0: I <laughs> I'm just picturing here, you know, some kid. He's making a sandcastle, and his mom and dad are there with a little beach chairs. Out comes this man with the, this mane and a huge beard <laughs> with a trolley and a little
2: raft. I um, know. I actually, we had 13 reports to the coast guard uh, about. <laughs> Someone in the water that they thought may have been an illegal immigrant. Uh, <laughs> Someone, some woman actually ran to the beach. I, I came ashore at like six in the morning when the tide finished. I did an early session from sort of four until it was about six thirty, I guess. Um, and it was pouring with rain. And so the Discovery Channel film boat was this massive boat which looked like it looked like a police boat, like the ones you see that are going out to to rescue yeah. sort of immigrants trying to cross the waters, you know. And then on the shore, with more just more cameramen filming me coming out of the water, mm. and this woman really perturbed came up to me with her umbrella and said, "What are you doing here?" I was like, <laughs> uh, "Getting some breakfast, hopefully." <laughs> and she goes, "Oh, oh, I thought you were an illegal immigrant, and that was the police, bar, uh, police boat. chasing you police on shore." The, this was the media sort of capturing the the whole thing, and I'm like. Man, if someone swam here from France by themselves, like just put them in the Olympics or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: they deserve to be here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was just like, yeah, so yeah, it was quite funny.
1: Now, two more things about your swim. One, you crossed some of the busiest harbours in the world. I've sailed uh, out of both of the harbours that were terrifying, I imagine, that uh, you swam across.
2: Yeah, you know, so I don't want to mislead people here. So swimming... uh, uh, through the Solent, legally by law, you have to have a safety boat to look after you at some point. So yeah. I arranged for a boat just to sort of be around because, you know, as I say, it's the biggest shipping lanes in the world. You know, for one of those big cruise liners to just put on the brakes and then change direction probably costs thousands and thousands of pounds in fuel, you know. So you don't want to be, you know, <laughs> pissing off one of those cruise liners. So, you know, you, you do have to have a safety boat. So, But they're not, they weren't a support boat at all. They didn't. Do anything except just be there in case Maybe something goes
1: wrong.
2: Get run over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um And they communicated as well with because obviously I'm in the water. I can't communicate with harbour masters. You know, when you're crossing shipping lanes and channels in and out, you, know, you should always be phoning the harbour master and just telling them what you're doing. And you know, so that's what I did. I, I so I it was quite nerve wracking though. So I had to sort of phone the harbour master at Portsmouth, um and he was like, "Right, we've got a window now. You have got to go now." But on the other side of Portsmouth, there's nothing. And I really needed the toilet. (laughs) So I was like, I can't go now. And he said, if it's not now, it's in like eight hours time. And then I was just like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to die. I need breakfast. I need to lose. So I actually had to sit out uh, and I'd missed my gap um, because by the time they was faffing, I was just, I'd missed my opportunity. And this big cruise liner came past. So I had to wait like another seven hours before the, the tide was good again. And yeah, it was the most frantic sort of 20 minutes of my life. And there was even a, Big warship came past me, and all the, the navy crew were on the back, sort of standing on the edge looking at this crazy guy. And <laughs> apparently, I'm the only, I am the second person in history to have across Portsmouth Harbour. Uh, and I, I now know why, you know, it's, it's pretty busy.
1: <laughs> I do know someone that drifted out of Portsmouth Harbour, not not due to any, you know, <laughs> there was wasn't a yeah, after a night out, it, yeah, a night out but. <laughs> Um, not 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 exactly not exactly you. illegal. He was he was in the navy as well, so I mean he, he had some survival skills. Um, my last question about swimming: you caught a fish? I, I was going to ask him about <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know, in our, in old people in old age homes, they have that one story that they repeat to everyone. My <laughs> you a, wanted a story? I had a story about how she infiltrated the Chinese. Um, Mafia in London in the 60s. I don't know how true it was, but that was her story, right? Uh, And it was cool. And she told it every time I went to see her. My story is going to be this time where as a joke, I said, I wonder if I tie some fishing line around me and swim, can I catch a fish? And I put it out on social media and everyone was like, not a chance, mate, unless you have a hundred meter line, blah, blah, blah. There's all these reasons. But basically the general vibe was it's never going to happen. And truthfully... I kind of believed it. I was like, yeah, I mean, there's no fish is going to come close enough to me. Anyway, I put the line out and swear. I kind of forgot about it, you know. And then four hours later, I came to shore, completely forgotten. turned around to pull Rafty up. But then there was a fish on the end just flapping away. I was like, no way! That was a massive mackerel. Well, i say massive, was, you know, four of mackerel mackerels is quite big. Um, And I couldn't believe it. I actually caught a bloomin' fish while swimming. I mean, how many people have done that? I think that is look that is my claim to fame. I think. Forget That'll about the, the world's story.
0: longest triathlon. Yeah. I caught a fish. Yeah, while I'm well, all swimming. that
2: stuff cycling around the world—none of that jazz matters, man. I'm going to be the dude who caught the fish while swimming. <laughs> you cooked it, didn't you?
0: I ate it raw. Yeah, you ate it raw. <laughs>
2: I must have missed yeah. that one. I ate it right there. You know, there's nothing better than having like sushi. Sort of sushi within you know half ten minutes of, of sort of catching it. Really. <laughs> now,
0: how how did your body hold up? because it doesn't matter how you stack it up, that is a colossal amount of punishment to put your body through i mean what was your training before and then how did your body hold up during
2: so training for something that that long that was going to take nearly three months which is multi-discipline is almost impossible you know whatever some training i did before within two months of being on the bike and running i would have lost it and the same with running and I kind of only find my groove after about three weeks, really, generally. And, and then each, each section was only about four weeks long. So actually, by the time I just found my groove on cycling, I had to change to running. But obviously, now I've got all cycle muscles. So all my quads were quite big. I had no sort of impact training that you need. So you're, you've got collagen and tendons and ligaments, all that impact, those impact hard tissue muscles. They, they take months to, to sort of get strong, you know um which is why people get better at ultra running at later in life you know like nimi anderson ran land's engine on groats in 12 days she was 50 years old hmm. you know so you get better at the long stuff because you you've had time to train those hard tissue and i didn't have that so obviously straight away i got injured on the run um which was expected really plus carrying carrying everything on my back and then by the time i got to the swim you know i was so fatigued so tired arms had done nothing except pick up a pint you know and, and it to have a you know literally in two months so yeah i mean in an ideal world I, I i don't know what i would have done really i probably would have done a few more push-ups and pull-ups along the way i did try that um but you know i was just kind of like ah winging it really which is regret because if I'd maybe le- been a little bit more proactive in 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 looking after my body, uh, both throughout the adventures, I probably would have done it a week a week quicker. Which was I was, I was kind of hoping to do it a week quicker, but actually, you know, weather and 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 fatigue kind of held me back. I think.
0: You looked inc- in incredible shape by the time you finished.
2: Well, swimming does that for you. Swimming yeah. gives you that appearance of being fit. <laughs> you know, because you you get your big shoulder muscles and your your pecs sort of get a bit bigger. And You have no body fat, so you lose all your body fat. So, all of a sudden, I was like, Man, I'm 35 years old, I got a six pack. I mean, that's <laughs> never gonna happen again. Like, this is me take a picture now, send it to my grandkids one day. Um, so you know, swimming does is quite good for recovery and quite good for sort of physical to, to look physically strong. But actually, if you'd put me in the gym or anything, I would have been pretty weak. Um, I would have had maybe good strong shoulders by the end, but and my core would have been okay. Um, but you know. Because I'd not run or anything, you know, everything was kind of getting just really tired. It was only actually probably three weeks after I finished everything that I actually felt really strong because obviously now I'd eat, been eating properly when I got home, recovered properly, and, you know, now, now I'm now pretty, pretty actually, I'm quite fit now. Even now, my resting heart rate is below 50, so yeah. I'm quite happy about that.
1: Uh, it didn't take you very long to get back on the bike once you finished it. I saw you you just spent two days cycling. Was it 200 miles and three hours
2: hours, yeah did did, uh my house down to Cornwall in uh 24 hours my girlfriend lives down in Cornwall and I was sort of I had a I had a photo shoot in in Bristol which I was going to drive to and then go to Cornwall and the photo shoot got cancelled uh so I all of a sudden had this like afternoon free and I was like well well if I just jump on the bike let's see how long it'll take me to get there and it was 250 miles Took me 24 hours and like 15 minutes, which was really annoying <laughs> because my mum phoned me and I sat on the side of the road for 15 minutes having a chat, and uh, so didn't get my 24 hours. So I'm gonna have to do that. But you know what? So actually, although I was really fatigued and a bit weak, swimming was good for me at the end of running and and you know cycling 3,200 miles, running 800 miles, swimming was quite good for that. So actually, I kind of felt I recovered a little bit, um, and was able to get back on the bike. Um, and actually push some decent mileage so uh, and also my next adventure is on the bike in five weeks time um but it's fully fully under the radar this one i'm okay. not telling anyone about it so that's all we get uh, uh, i'm under a different name everything so i'm not doing it social media i'm doing this one just for the love of adventure is, love it in, of this being is it in this country
1: is in this country
2: Um, It is not in this country, no. (laughs) Uh, People might work it out. People might work it out. um, But it's kind of, I just want to do this for the love of being outdoors. You you won't
1: have a GPS strapped to you this time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What? Um, I... Well, yeah, I won't give too much away. Okay, <laughs> okay fair enough, fair
0: enough. Uh, what was your your interaction with people like while you're doing? You've got a really big follow, following on social media. Whenever you put something up, you get a shed load of
1: likes, ton of comments. People trying to find your trainers. Yeah, I
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they, they went pretty quickly. Yeah, they did. I did, I did I, Tony Hawk inspired me. He um he would go and leave skateboards around sort of deprived areas of, of of where you know all over America, um with a little note saying you know happy skating or whatever. Um, and I kind of, I was going to sort of give these shoes to a charity shop when I sort of, cause I, each pair of shoes probably lasts about 300 miles really, um, maybe 400 on the road. So I was going through three pairs of trainers. Um, and I, what the first pair I actually did, I just went and changed them and gave them to a charity shop. And then the second pair, I thought, well, oh, maybe someone could actually get some use out of these cause they probably still had another hundred, 150 miles in them. Um, so yeah, I just left them on the side of the road tweeted about it and literally 10 minutes later they were gone and the guy even went on his bike picked them up and came and found me and said thanks mate you know (laughs) so um yeah i I, as uh, you know i've never done a triathlon i've never done a marathon as in the event Uh, i've done the distance but i've never done the event and people tell me that the crowd gets you that last sort of you know five miles or, or the end you know the crowd on the side waving cheering you along. I, I don't have that crowd physically next to the road, so social media is my crowd, you know. And you know, for all the faults that social media has, you know, I think people, you know, people spend too much time on it. Potentially, um, there's a certain element of falseness about peop- the way that people portray themselves, and all that. Yeah, you take all that stuff away. I think social media is a fantastic tool to share experiences um, that you that you're up to. And I'm seeing a huge shift. And there's a really good book by a guy called James Warman. It's called Stuffocation, And it's about, long story short, about how, you know, as mammals, we need feelings of importance. Like, you know, gorillas beat their chest, peacocks grow feathers they don't need. It's just to be, feel important in society, right? And for hundreds of years now, or at least certainly the last hundred, we've got that feeling by buying stuff. You know, you buy a bigger car and everyone goes, ooh, you're important. You buy a bigger house. You buy fancy clothes blah, blah, blah. Whereas actually with social media, I, I think, and James Warman sort of suggests that there's a shift now from people going from materialism um, based feelings of importance to experience based feelings of importance. And mm-hmm. I think social media is really important for that because all of a sudden the guy who goes, look, I ran a marathon, will get way more likes. than the guy goes, look, I just spent five grand on a handbag Yeah. Um, or, 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 you know, X, Y, Z. And so I think People are getting that. Obviously, there's the the whole negative side to it where it's going really too far off, where people are craving that attention attention online. And then that's, I mean, that's a whole different story and I don't want to get into that. But certainly, I think when people, I think people are being more intelligent with their holidays now. I think people are being more intelligent with their savings. You know, they're, they're not going and buying that expensive, you know, pair of shoes that they're going to climb Kilimanjaro. For example, you know, and I think it's super exciting time in the world, and I, and I think social media is down to that. You know, I'm hope you know there's people like Alistair Humphreys, yeah, yeah. Dave Cornthwaite, Kenton Cool, um, Sophie Radcliffe. Uh, God, there's so many Anna Mcnuff, Laura Kennington. All these people are doing all these adventures online and sharing it. It's making people like me go, wow, that's amazing. You know, um, Mark Beaumont cycling the length of Africa, mm-hmm. Mike Hall. Um, Juliana Baring, geez, I mean the little Lail Wilcox just won the Trans America Bike Race. You know, it's a girl beating all the blokes and everything, and it's just incredible. You know, and social media is a great way of finding out those sort of stories and uh, and and actually getting inspired from them. So I love it. I love sharing my stuff, and if one person can go off and sign up for a marathon that they didn't think they could do, then you know, it makes me feel better.
1: Now, something else you love, Land Rovers. Oh yes. I that. Want, yes. want to I know. We we about want that. talk about That's Land because, because we 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 love we love them as well. Yeah. We have uh, oh, we have, we've got a Defender and you're a Defender man as well.
2: I bought I bought another Defender yesterday. <laughs> no, yes. are joking. Literally bought a, a, a Defender yesterday from uh so I I've I've been in love with uh, there's a company up in Yorkshire called Twisted I
0: know Defenders.
2: Twisted. Yep. They yep. they sort of really you can go in there and just Whatever you've got in your brain, you can make you make them do for you. So I've I've, I've so I bought a, a standard sort of fairly newer newer uh, defender, which I'm going to create with them this ultimate sort of adventure uh, machine for myself, and it's going to have a bit of a, a a nod to the old Camel Trophy Ooh, yes, uh, defenders yes. from back in the day. So it's going to be a similar colour. It's going to have everything I need. You know, I need a bed in the back. I need a place to put my bicycle. Um, I need space on the roof, um, all these sort of things. So I'm working with them. I'm so excited, man. Literally yesterday, I was just like a kid in a candy store going, oh, I could have, what should I do? What should I do? And, um, so watch your space. I'm doing the build with them over the next uh, the next sort of three months, um, getting my ultimate sort of adventure machine together, which I'm hopefully I'm going to use, and I, I think I will for the rest of my life. You know, this is going to be the last car I ever buy. Oh, uh, I, 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 love I love those. Apart
1: headphones. from uh, Series 1.
2: Well, exactly, the last new car I'll ever buy. I'm I, working. I've got a Series 3 as well, which I just blew the engine on uh, last week. So <laughs> that's in the garage. So I've, I've got three Land Rovers, but I'm, only one is working at the moment. Well,
0: irrespective <laughs> yeah. or anything else, I think yeah. the fact that you're a Land Rover man <laughs> makes you a good bloke in my books.
2: I uh, uh, love it, man. I had them from when I was a kid. I remember Dad driving around with the, you know, the old ones had the steering wheel, which is freaking massive. Uh <laughs> You know, through through the African wilderness, bouncing up and down. You know, so they they're kind of in my blood, Land Rovers. So yeah, I do love them.
0: <laughs> I, I work backwards. I got I managed to buy one of the very last of the TD5 engines in the world man, yeah, uh, and it's it's got like fifty thousand on the clock, and that is that's my version of your new one. That for the rest
2: of honestly, my life. <laughs> I was thinking about actually buying the TD5 instead because actually um they're a little bit more economical and if you get it remapped yeah. go to if you, the twisted guys will remap it for you go on youtube and look at a remapped td5 you can do like power slides which is obviously not what you want to do with a <laughs> td5 but the problem with the td5 is with eu emissions and stuff yeah. they had to dull the engine right down they did, yeah. so actually, you can get you can get a bit Working better off-road and all that sort of thing, if if, it, if it's remapped and and they actually sound a bit cooler. I think the TD5 is the best sounding. It's, to the it's Land a pretty Rover awesome out there, car, to be yeah, it is. I love mine anyway.
0: Sometimes my girlfriend gets a little upset because she's convinced I love the Land Rover more than her, but it's yeah. not. It's not true.
2: Up <laughs> to bed, I'm like, I'm fine in the back. I'm my happy <laughs> place. Sleeping in the back of my Land Rover, man. I like. I reckon I sleep at the minute. Probably like almost fifty-fifty between my Land Rover and my boat. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> uh, or camping. I and mean, then that's, you know, the other bit. But, um, yeah, no, I love it. What, love it. So when people your... don't sort of come up and knock on the window.
0: <laughs> what is your, the, the red Land Rover that we see all the time uh, on your social media? What's the, what's the spec of that? This is the last bit of Land Rover chat because I know there'll be yeah, some people who don't care less about turns it. I off now. <laughs> Land Rovers. All the Toyota fans are like, I'm done.
2: <laughs> um, it's a 300 TDI. Okay. It's 20 years old. It's done 150. The, the, the Speedo says 191,000, but I'm thinking it's way, it's way over 200. Has it stopped uh,
1: working, the Speedo?
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the Speedo stopped working many times. <laughs> but it's got a bed in the back. I could put my bike straight in without taking the wheels off. Um, it's got shelves, which pretty much, if I literally decide right now, I can just close my laptop, get my keys, go to my car, and in there is everything, my hiking boots, my tent, my bike, um, I've got a kayak mount on the roof, everything, man. I, I've got a little portable shower. You need a bucket. But what you do, a little tip, is yeah, it's a bit harder on the new engines because they've got the cover. But certainly on the, if you take the, the cover off your TD5, mate, mm. get a metal bucket fill it with water, turn the engine on, leave it on the engine for about half an hour with the, the, the bonnet open, you get hot water. There we go. There's your warm shower. <laughs> I, I
0: got rid of the, the, the plastic cover ages plastic, ago because it it you used to
2: hear
1: water. it better. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Why do you want to dampen
1: the noise? Why do you want to dampen <laughs> exactly, the noise? Exactly, you know,
2: you want to hear when when you run out of oil. <laughs> I, you want to step backwards now. Yeah, I want to. Yeah. I want
1: to go backwards now. C- I was looking we, at some be- of the things before we you, do you've this. Done. Can we do early life?
0: Yeah, we can do. Yeah, early life. can we just uh, give us a snippet of your early life before you started your first adventure? Because and what you're, made you're, you're, you? Yeah, yeah, and and, and move because you you're from Zambia, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, before you moved here. So I'd like to know a little bit about that before we talk about your early adventures that some people might not know about.
2: So, you know, I grew up in the colonies in Africa. So I had a British family who moved over uh, to Africa. And, you know, African life was pretty damn adventurous. You know, my dad's a conservationist. He's a rhino and elephant conservationist. So for years, I just grew up in the bush looking after rhinos and elephants, you know, and um, it was amazing. You know, there's nothing more that fuels your imagination than having to throw sticks in an elephant to chase it out of the garden because it's drinking all the water out <laughs> your little paddling pool, you know, <laughs> which happened many times. And uh, so I think that probably fueled my adventurous spirit growing up in the bush. Um, and then, you know, long, boring story, but Zimbabwe didn't work out, obviously, for various reasons, moved back to England, and I still had that adventurous spirit, but I kind of, I kind of forgot to acknowledge it, I think. I think I lied to myself. Um, and, you know, lied about what makes me happy or what's important in life and what my true goals should be and all, all that sort of thing. And, um, and although I was into photography, um, I, I thought I was going to travel the world with it, but actually landed up not, um, and was just miserable. So sort of kind of sold my business for a pound in 2011.
1: Your photography and, uh, business?
2: My photography business yeah. for a pound, yeah. I... um I think i have that pound hold on you've kept here someone okay, i fr- mate i actually i went four pounds on the frame to frame the pound <laughs> <laughs> so the frames were more so than
0: the pound oh wow tremendous
2: so i sold it to my business partner who's from jersey um and obviously he gave me a jersey pound note and there it is and that was it uh, And
0: then started the rest so of your life
2: that was it man but you know, I was 30 years old. I have no A-levels. I have no university education. Photography was a hobby I got good at um, and loved it for many years, but made bad decisions, said yes to the wrong clients, did boring work that didn't inspire me but paid well. Um, so imagine being 30 years old with a pa- Actually, because the frame was four quid, I was minus three pounds to my name, <laughs> pretty much from day one. Um, you know, what do you do? I was unemployable, you know, pretty much unemployable. I had no... Skills really, you know, the only thing I could have probably done was work in a photo studio mm. or, or or a photo lab developing prints, but they were sort of becoming scarce because of digital. Mm. Um, and, and and I didn't want to do photography anyway, so I sort of stepped back and thought, you know, what what were my original goals in life? And they were to travel the world, you know, and I wanted to travel the world, be outside, explore places. And I, I was hoping that the camera was going to be my my passport to do that. Mm. But I made bad decisions, so it, it landed up obviously not being that. Um, so I thought, well, I still want to travel the world. I still want to be outdoors. I still want to you know, do that. What else can I do in life that will allow me to do that? Um, so I then thought, well, if I do some sort of adventure racing. I didn't want to just be a, a traveler uh, and just go sort of on holiday i say holiday type adventures, yeah. I wanted to push myself physically and mentally, I think that gave me extra purpose in life personally, um, and so that's why I thought of adventure racing, and it got me into this new world of, of trying to race, um, you know, doing it, doing races and long distance endurance adventures, um, which has now been my new ticket to get me to the same place, you know, and you climb up a mountain and sometimes you hit a bit of ice and you slide back down. You know, I tried to climb up that ice, you know, in photography without crampons for years and years and years. And I just eventually realized I was so miserable, but actually all I needed to do was walk around to the other side of the mountain where there was a different slope and a different path, which was just as exciting and was sort getting me to the same point. Right. So that, you know, that that's a little bit of my philosophy, I guess is, you know, have your goal and your goal and like really dig deep into what that goal is and why you want to do it. And, you know, initially I, I thought photography was just my goal, to be a working photographer, but that was aiming way too low, you know. I wanted to work for National Geographic, you know, for you for many years and eventually when I gave up my business, I was complaining, oh, I didn't get all those jobs for National Geographic. My friend was like, oh, so how many did you apply for? And I was like, zero. I didn't <laughs> apply for one. And then I, it, it was kind of such an obvious thing, I was like, man. You're so right. I mean, how can I be complaining about something that I've never even tried to go and get? Uh, It was a really, really important life lesson, you know. So I then dug deep and I was like, what do I want to do with my time on this planet? I've only got so many, so many years here. You know, I wanted to travel, I wanted to meet cool people, I wanted to spend it outdoors. I didn't want to spend it sitting at a desk. Um, What can I do in life that'll give me that? And photography wasn't it. Um, So I thought adventure racing. Uh, will be it and, th- and that's kind of my path now and it's you know the best decision I ever made really this this pound so keep it with me the whole time as a reminder
0: that's absolutely tremendous it's a a big thing we always say to people now is you, you embrace what you love to do Because yeah. if you're really good at something because you're passionate about it you will find a way and if I could yeah. r- go back and give myself advice when I was younger that I'd, I'd say the same thing is don't Alex- do what you think you should do do what you love
2: yeah, Alan Watts. There's um, a really famous speech he did online. Search Alan Watts. It's what would you do if money was no object. Um, I still listen to it probably once every every couple of months whenever I'm feeling, you know, if the weather's a bit rubbish and I don't want to get on the bike. <laughs> I know that speech. It's really yeah, good. It is, really good. Yeah. It's a great speech and it kind of gives me sort of new incentive and perspective. So, yeah, everyone, Alan Watts. Check that out, um, and cheese rolling on YouTube. Those are two things you should check out. There, <laughs> I've
1: seen cheese rolling, and and you've done it.
2: <gasps> I came second by half a meter. I was it.
1: <laughs> right, I, I've got a list, a list here, kind of everything you've done up to to now. So I just want to cover a few points. There's there's a few in particular that I'm quite intrigued in. So you sold your business for a pound. You went yep. straight into cycling in the UK in 2008.
2: Actually, the cycling came before that. Did it. Ah. So that was the only thing I'd ever done pre pre that and the cheese rolling, um, pre-selling my business. And um, it was one of, the, one of the, the sort of incentives into my new life. I remember I sold my business, I was sitting at home, 30 years old, miserable, broke, um, didn't know what to do. And I remember thinking, right, when were you last happiest, Sean? When were you last really, really happy? And I remember it was... Cycling Lands in Shana Groats, which I was so rubbish at cycling, it took me 25 days. You know, I've met people in their 70s who do it in 14 days, you know. <laughs> so I was really rubbish. But it was that, you know, raising money for charity, pushing myself, meeting people, exploring, you know, all those sort of things. You know, and then going and talking at school. I did like, I think I did two talks after that one um, to friends um, in a pub and at a school. Um, and I remember thinking that. That was the last time I was truly happy. So that was Cycling Lands, to Groats. Then I sold my business in 2011. And then I guess you got more on your uh, And then <laughs> t-
1: 2011, you climbed Kilimanjaro in a penguin suit. Uh, yes. <laughs> explain, explain? Oh, no, please.
2: <laughs> so um, if you tell three people your idea, I believe it's set in stone uh, and you can't go back on yourself. And si- me and six of my mates, so seven of us all going to do it as a bit of a, charity fun event and we're in the pub you know just chatting about you know are we all going to catch the same flight some people were going to fly to to kenya and do the bus to nairobi and do the bus instead and we're all having these old ideas and then i sort of said well because we're raising money for charity how cool it be if we all dressed up in fancy dress in the same outfit and what wadd- and you know went up and i think we'd raise more money for charity because we're raising money for the african wildlife fund um and the penguin suit kind of came into to chat somehow and i thought well, it would be brilliant you know imagine seven penguins waddling up kilimanjaro <laughs> and i i'm a bit hazy now cuz we were a few ales in but i'm <laughs> I, i'm convinced we all agreed when that we were going to do that i'm super convinced that actually i walked out that pub and it was done deal right we were all going to wear penguins anyway i ordered mine i rocked up in in tanzania with my penguin suit and they were like, We were only joking, Sean. I was like, What? I've told everyone, I've told three people. So I nearly backed out. I nearly thought, well, is this a bit patronizing to people who've really trained at you know, trained hard? It's it's a difficult walk it's a difficult hike, you know. It's the world's highest freestanding mountain. You know, the six thousand meters is pretty high, uh, for altitude sickness and things like that. And I didn't want to devalue other people's attempts. So I nearly pulled out. But then I thought, you know what? I said I was going to do it, I'm raising money for charity, I've got to stick with it. And actually it had the complete polar opposite effect. P- people weren't annoyed with me, they were actually kind of like, damn it, if a penguin can bloody do it, I can do it. So, <laughs> You know, as I was waddling past, people were like, I've got to catch him now. Um, and it actually landed up being a wonderful experience and uh, managed to you know, raise money for charity and, and have a great adventure at the same time.
1: And then, 2012, you moved on to... Three of the highest uh, peaks, Scotland, England, Wales, and you cycle between them 430 miles in sixty hours. that is yeah really fast yeah
2: <laughs> uh, again, just fancy that another challenge you know again just trying to push myself and I love doing stuff in Britain, as everyone knows um, wanted to do the three peaks, couldn't find a mate to sort of drive the 24 hour thing, but I had a mate who had the weekend off. Um, who could just faff around. You know, it's a bit easier easier drive. Um, And so teamed up with my friend Sophie and, yeah, just had a bash and did it, just Uh, about.
1: (laughs) And uh, I'm assuming later in that year, you uh, start your cycle of the world.
2: Um, They actually were the other way around. Ah. I did that one before the the Round the World. Uh, Sorry, I did it after Round the World. Yeah, no, Round the World was my first sort of proper big, sort of, right, this is my new life uh I need to do something. Uh I can't afford travel. I need to I wanna do adventure racing. You know, like any sportsman, every sportsman on the planet will will have a sponsor. You know, we've all heard about Ryan Lockerty losing all yeah. four of his We were just talking, this we were
0: out talking out this morning. about earlier.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what a silly boy. Um you know so I thought you know I thought you know this is this is a viable option. You know being a sports person Uh, going attracting sponsors who will fund your training and your kit. You know, it's a thing which thousands and thousands of people do. All my Olympian friends do it. Everyone in the, you know, Tour de France, you know, look at Team Sky, they're all sponsored. So actually, this whole new idea in my my mind, thought, well, you know, I can do racing, adventure racing, become an athlete, of, of some sort and sean was using a, the
0: the the com commas there for the people <laughs> yeah, who only you listening know, i'm not yeah. a real one
2: i'm like a, a like a like a non-professional athlete <laughs> that's kind of what i call it um you know so it opened my world up into to this new option of existing on this planet which is you know think of it, an idea um and then try and get sponsored to fund it um you know back then it was heavily relied on getting some sort of publicity out of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now it's a little bit different, you know, there might be you know, it's probably a little bit harder, there's more competition, but there's more ways of, of trying to trying to get sponsors to get on board with your idea, you with social media, with content creation, um and and xyz, so you know, a lot more people have, are able to to go off and do these things and live a sort of a, this type of lifestyle than before when it was you know, unless you got magazine space or newspaper articles before sponsors weren't keen, whereas now you can actually package it up a little bit differently. Um so that was it. The Round the World Cycle was my first thing and uh, you know, huge thank you to Neil Hutchinson who who, who sponsored me for that, um and his company. Um and yeah. Tempted to cycle around the world, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll talk about your books at the end, but there is actually you've written a book about that experience. So if anyone wants to hear more about it, then
2: yeah, read, read the it's, book. It's what's called cycling the earth. Uh, it is available on Amazon. Um, I think I have. I have loads of copies in my bedroom because um, <laughs> no one's buying them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of I I keep I keep a bunch um for signed if anyone wants signed copies they can email me well, I there you of, go because I, I don't really do signings so i just yeah. want to have uh,
1: so if good. anyone wants a signed uh copy then got to email Sean. got to email sean and uh he can yeah, uh, i was just <laughs>
0: thinking after your, your your little chat there about how how you managed to you know make this a way of life and you're talking about the sponsorships and that i i think after this podcast goes out and we'll do, do the social media, but there might be more competition because I can just see, imagine all these people it. thinking, "Hang on, I can do really? that too." Yeah. Which, of course, is the point: is you want to encourage yeah. people I mean, to embrace it.
2: Historically, you know, the adventure exploration world is, has been limited to a pretty certain corner of society. If, I'm pretty sure you know everyone knows what I'm talking about here. You know, people potentially with with big financial backing, people of a certain education, blah 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 blah. Right. Now that hasn't been very inspiring for the, the the other 95% of the population who are you know living in a part of the world where they just didn't have those role models. Whereas now, with social media, with with people with content becoming more valuable online, um, people are able to film pretty high end stuff and take pretty high end photography with their phones nowadays. You know, which all of a sudden has meant you know people like me. Living in the Midlands on a boat <laughs> um, uh, can actually, you know, be be if you're good at it. And I, I, I'd like to think I've become quite good at sort of endurance adventuring. Um, can actually find a way of making a living from it. You know, mm. uh, you can self-publish books. You don't have to have a massive publisher behind you to, to get a book out there. You, you you can talk at schools and and people. Have people have budgets for for getting people you know speakers in? So actually, you know, it's, the sort of exploration adventure world has shifted, and that's through social media and and all that sort of thing from being sort of only available to a certain sort of corner of society a hundred years ago to being pretty much available to anyone who, who's willing to to make the sacrifices. Because there are, you know, I lived with my mum in a one bedroom flat on the pull out sofa for a couple of years. While I was scrounging money around, yeah, even even um, Randolph Fiennes, finds. I think he spent something like eight years working in a pub, trying to fund one of his polar pole to pole without a flight thing back in the day. You know, you know, eight years slogging away saving. I think he had fifteen hundred sponsors or something ridiculous, or well, certainly over a <laughs> thousand. You know, back then and. Um, so there are sacrifices and everyone you know, everyone just sees the glossy bits. But, uh, you know, it, it is an option if you want it. If you want to, you know, be spend most of your life tired, miserable, cold, wet and hungry, then being an adventurer is just <laughs> That's a way to
1: go. They don't tell you that at school, do they? No. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's not part of the career's advice.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, now, me and Byron actually watched this on YouTube the other day. You're um, swimming the length of Britain.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which That was... That I think besides the fish story, that one will be probably the one of my biggest achievements. This this longest triathlon was physically up there. Um, but, you know, with cycling and running and I'd done a big swim before, it was just physical and and, and mental. There was no surprises. Whereas doing a 900-mile sea swim that no one had even attempted, you know, in history, in the history of mankind, which is surprising because my mate Dave Cornthwaite, skateboarded Lands End, John O'Groats. You know, there's a guy who hit a golf ball. There's a woman last November uh, pushed R- Rosie Rosie May, I think her name pushed a bed, pushed a bed from Lands End, John O'Groats. I hope she slept in it every night. That'd be amazing. I bet she did. Um, you know, so the fact that no one had even attempted to swim it was 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 quite interesting. Um, but obviously came with the challenges of you had no one to ask for advice. You want to climb Everest today? Is, you know, tons of books and people you can ask. You want to go to the South Pole, you want to go to the North Pole, you want to row the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian. You know, you know, you've got many people to ask when you're trying to do a one of the world's longest sea swims. There's no one really to ask what the deal is, um, and and that was just really really difficult. And yeah. and I'm not really a good swimmer as well.
1: The what so. the, the one part which I did feel very sorry for you because I. I can empathize with you massively is putting on a wet wetsuit because I've spent a lot of time in wetsuits
2: and it is one yeah. of the
1: most miserable things.
2: Especially so with, with cold water swimming, the, the biggest trick is to get warm before you get in the water. So, you know, run up and down the beach, do whatever to get warm. Um, and then you get in the water and you stay warm where it's harder to warm up in the water. Right now I was on a tiny little boat. Uh, by the end nighttime temperatures were probably one or two degrees uh which means the wetsuit is one or two degrees uh when you put it on and i'm also now on a tiny boat you can't even stand up in uh so i couldn't get warm i couldn't sort of run up and down i had no beach to run up and down and i'll try and sort of do star jumps on deck uh but that didn't really work to be honest so no it was yeah and and i'd also lost all my body fat i was super skinny so you know generally there's just nothing quite like being cold is there Mm,
0: I I, hat off to you that for me having been a swimmer in fact I was actually just swimming last night I got back in the pool recently but that 900 miles in the sea up the west coast of Scotland just I I looked at the route that you took and I just if someone had said to me if I didn't know that a man had actually (laughs) done it I would have said no I can't be done I don't think it
2: can be done not in one day. Trust me, many, many people uh, thought they'd write me long emails telling me how it couldn't be done as well.
1: Yeah.
2: I got many of those, yeah.
1: Thanks.
2: But you I did want. it? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um no, it was it was yeah, they went very quiet though as soon as I finished <laughs> As
1: soon as you completed it.
2: I don't know, I'm I'm fueled by naysayers. Um, especially <laughs> if you've done your research. You know, I don't wanna sort of promote willy nilly going out there, you know. You've got to prepare You've gotta prepare, you've gotta look at I always look at what are my Game end, as I call them, the things that'll stop me from achieving it, um, and it'll be little things like you know um, getting properly ill, as in bedridden, ill, hospitalised, breaking a bone, uh, drowning, not being fit enough. You know currents, tides, weather, equipment, support, nutrition. You know you've got all these sort of things, and even after all of that, nothing suggested that swimming the length of Britain was impossible. Nothing. It was not going to be one counter tide. It wasn't going to be a big riptide sucking me out to sea ever. It's going to be north-south, north-south tidal flow. Um, Yeah, it was going to be cold. There were going to be days where I couldn't swim because of bad weather. But, you know, none of this was going to stop me. But, yeah, for some reason, there was quite a few people online who really were going out their way. Someone actually tried to come and stop me as well in Scotland. Were they worried for your life? In their boat. Yeah, in their boat. He was... um, um, thought
1: well, you were he an was, immigrant
2: yeah he thought I was an immigrant <laughs> uh, so I basically had to change this in the book because they thought I'd get sued if I mentioned it um, uh, so he was in charge of an area let's say I can't be more specific than that otherwise I get in trouble apparently mm-hmm. <laughs> according to my publisher uh, so he was in charge of a certain area which involved a bit of water um, and he wanted to come out in his boat and stop me from swimming this certain bit because he said I was going to die, and he didn't want me dying in in his area. Sort of area. Um and he physically wanted to come out on his boat, and he scared the life out of me, to be honest. So I mean, this was like a week before I even arrived. Every day he's like, "Are you still going to do it? Are you still going to do it? I think you should skip it and start again after it." Blah 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 blah. And I was like, "That's never going to happen, me. You know, there's no way I'm going to skip one meter of this. You know, what's yeah. the point?" Anyway, eventually, you know, I worked with my skipper Lou, who was amazing, and it was like, man. It, you swim this at slack tide you're fine obviously when the tide is at its full flood anywhere's is dangerous but actually at slack tide the water's just still and I landed up swimming this bit which took about an hour and it was one of the easiest swims I'd done a seal was following me and like we're having a jaw in the water you know and I'm just like afterwards I was like man you really really were not very nice you know you you misguided in your information and you're going to get those people some of them will give you useful advice you know some people are like you know don't go down this alley this gully because there is a big whirlpool. If you can go around another one, do it. If you do go down that gully, you have to do it at slack water, which you only get about twenty minutes of before the whirlpool starts. Obviously, you know, there's those bits of information that are useful. But for someone just to blankly go, You can't do it, you're not gonna do it, you're gonna die I thought was a bit short sighted. And and as it turns out, completely wrong, you know. <laughs>
1: Now, there's two other things I I want to cover quickly. You cycled to the Alps, and according to the thing I read, you did it because it would be cheaper than flying.
2: Yeah, so every year is my tradition. Between day after Boxing Day or the evening of Boxing Day uh, and New Year, though that week, pretty much, I do a little mini-adventure somewhere, anywhere. And I've done it for five years in a row now. Um, And, yeah, one year. And I just try and make it a little bit different, so... All my mates were going skiing, um, I've banned myself from skiing and snowboarding um, because I just break stuff, like, my basically my ambition outweighs my skill, generally, <laughs> so I just break, the last time I went skiing I broke both my thumbs, my rib, um, broke broke skis, and then when I went boarding before I broke a snowboard in half, um, so I just was like, you know what, I'm just not going to ski or it's board or thing. anything. Yeah, it's just not my thing, you know. So anyway, all my mates were going and then me and my mate Jez we were like, well, should we cycle out? to be kind of fun. And we'll meet them there, and, you know, spend a night in the Alps and then probably catch a train back or something. I was like, yeah, that's cool. And then we, as a, just a throwaway comment, we we're like, oh, should we see if we can do it cheaper than the flight? Um, so we went on EasyJet or whatever and it was 220 quid for a flight, I think. Um, and we're like, OK, well. Let's see if we can do it for cheaper than 220 quid. Actually, it turns out it was way, way easier than that. I mean, I think, I think we spent like 100 quid on, and we ate out properly, you know. Uh, so we had another 100 pounds for like ale or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it was really easy. But the, the following year, I think, or might have been the year after that one, I decided to walk from my mum's house in Cheltenham to London to my friend's New Year's Eve party during the same period. And I tried to do that one cheaper than the train, so that was forty-eight pound fifty, and I had five days, which, if you were, it was about eight pound a day budget. Um, That's tough to live on in the UK. But actually, I soon worked out pasta, pesto, and a bit of chorizo. You could buy a day's worth of that for about a fiver, which left me with exactly about, I think, two pound ninety-five. Was five pound and some change. I think I had about two pound ninety-five in coins at the end of each day's budget. And I'd go to a pub and I'd genuinely do this. So I'd go to the barman, and I'm like, may I have £2.95 and worth of ale, please? <laughs> and to be honest, most of the time he'd just give me a full pint anyway. So I was like, thanks. Because it was about three fifteen, you know. Yeah. Uh, until I got nearer London, it was more like half pint. But um, yeah, so actually you can survive. Honestly, you can survive in the UK on five quid a day um, if you're clever with where you camp um, or rough sleep if you're on your own, as I like to call it. So, because technically camping wild in England and Wales is illegal, yes, so yes, true. All good up here, though. All yeah, good you're up all here. Fine, <laughs> now. In
1: 2015, more recently, you ran Britain 1011 miles in 44 days.
2: It was, yeah, that was four days slower than I was hoping, which annoyed me. Uh, because I got injured twice <laughs> and I got ill actually, yeah. Um, yeah, I was. It was the third and final leg of, of the of Land's End to John Groats Triathlon, which, as I mentioned earlier, was done over years. Um, I'd attempted it the year before, took a, a selfie and tripped on a rock and injured my knee. Uh, is that was genuinely
0: the reason that you injured yourself?
2: Well, I mean, all that hard work swimming the length of Britain, and I'm now just the selfie guy. <laughs> <kind> of, um, <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah. Um, so I had unfinished business. You know, running is probably my weakest. It's the thing I take the longest to, to get into. Like my cycle fitness comes back pretty quickly, swimming fitness comes back because it's all soft tissue. All the hard tissue stuff takes much longer. So running running in particular it will take longer to, to, to get strong for. Um, yeah, so I just decided to have a bash. You know, tried it once, failed, wasn't going to give up, gave it a go a second time, and thankfully um, I, I did it on that one.
1: Amazing. so apart from the secret project that you've got coming up is there anything you can tell us that you've got planned in the future or something you wish to do
2: oh i've got a huge black book you know got loads of people loads of adventurers actually get annoyed about the what next question mm-hmm. uh, i i love it i love the what next question i think you know if you don't have an idea coming up um it's quite easy to, to slip back into to comfort zone you know um, so I have loads of ideas. Yeah, loads. Whole book, whole little book. Every time I think of something, i just write in my little book, and I have a, de- a, a dedicate. So a tiny little book like this, dedicate a dedicated page to that idea, and I just scribble down little things like when I think I might want to do it. You know, blah blah blah. How much, how much savings I'll need to make. You know, how many less coffees I'll have to drink a week to save the money and all that jazz. Um, and then it stays in the book. And most of them, quite a few of them, I can do. In, in years to come there's a few that I probably need to think about doing uh, in the next couple of years. Um, I'm 35 now getting better at some stuff I'm getting a bit slower in other stuff so um, what one can I talk about? I mean it's running the length of Africa I guess is, is the one big one that I've I put out there years ago wow. but I've never quite managed to sort of commit to it. That's serious. Ch-
1: challenging I, 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 in the in the actual yeah. physical, but also quite dangerous in some parts.
2: No, I don't think it's dangerous. No? I think I don't. any I don't think people will care for a smelly runner. I think ninety-nine percent of the world are friendly people. The media will just obviously sell sell more newspapers if they tell you about the one percent. You know, um, I think you'd be fine. I think it's yes. There are certain parts of the of Africa which are probably a little bit more risky, and you want to avoid them. Um, not because I think you'll be a target. I think you may just there's more chance of being landing up in the wrong place at the yep. wrong time. Mm. Um, um, but other than that, I think you'd be fine. You know, Mark Beaumont just cycled it 41 yeah, it days. You no, know? um, loads. Of Alistair Humphreys. You know, there's loads of people have done it, and, and not one of them has ever, ever said of anything bad. Um, so there's that one. I'm a bit young. I, I that's my. I think that's probably the reason I haven't decided to do it yet is I'm a bit young. Uh, I'm 35. I want to, I mean, I could do that well into my fifties, really, truthfully, uh, and probably still break the record. Uh, The record's 318 days at the minute. Um, Who holds that, Sean? So, you know what? He was a, he was a British male model in, in the nineties. And in 1998, I can't remember his name, but if you Google length length of Africa on foot record, I can't remember his name now, um, but he has it. And, um, and you want yes, to break I'm, it yeah I will I will break it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's tremendous. just when, when yeah, I, just it'd be when. quite nice if actually someone did it in the meantime to make it a little bit more difficult a bit for me and, yeah. so for, please, please do do that sorry do you have a last question
1: <laughs> no no more, more, not last question but I just wanted to, for everyone that's listening uh, you have a few books out you've got oh, on my list one two three four, four books out and you're so writing one up. currently
2: i'm writing number five shall I be very professional and show you them I can yes you can them. you
0: can tell us what they are and where people can find them uh,
2: i wasn't joking about the whole pile of them <laughs> so, <it's> so you <laughs> you have
1: plenty for signing
2: <laughs> yes yeah, so i have a guidebook called world cycling strip there um which is a really interesting cover which i stole from richard branson's idea when he had a a, a, a scantily clad lady on the back of his kite surfing board, um, <laughs> it was my friend's idea. I went to school with Monique. Uh, she said, Why don't we do this idea? It'd be kind of fun. but anyway, this is truthfully it's a bit outdated now. It's about how to do long distance cycle touring. It's just a guidebook. Um, it is four years old, so you know it's a bit outdated if, if i'm if I'm being honest, but it certainly will sort of give you an idea of how you go from being no, doing no cycling at all. To being able to cycle 180, 200 miles a day and cycle around the world. So that's that one. Um then there's my Lance John Groats cycle book. Uh this is when I cycle Lance Groats in two thousand and eight. Uh and that's just a fun read. Great for the toilet, that one. Um reading and... on it as opposed to in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Well, yeah, I mean the paper's quite soft. <laughs> um probably my most proud book. This is the swim book, this is the the one uh, the I'm big, get you know, that the adventure that really that's, that's sort list. of got, got me into to it got my confidence back. This one, you know, in in my physical ability, um, and and it's, it's an easy read. You know, I'm I'm not trying to be J.K. Rowling or Tolkien or whatever. You know, it's just simple, easy read, um, and it tells you exactly how I did it. And then the other one is my latest book. Is this is the the cycling around the world race, which is part of the world's first ever bike race around the planet. Um, my friend, Mike Hall landed up winning that. I, something happened to me in America, which kind of ruined my dreams, but you're going to have to read that. You you
1: read it to find Uh, out.
2: Yeah. You have to read it to find out. I've got a few signed copies here. So those are the four I've got at the minute. And I'm writing at the moment, the, uh, the third book about the, the length of Britain triathlon, the run, so they'll have all three, and then I might actually, I'm half, I'm half tempted to combine all three books into one massive fat book. <laughs> I just, I just kind of want a book that's so fat that no one buys it because it's too scary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's why people always bought Lord of the Rings in three parts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of people uh, listening to our podcast will know who you are, but equally there will be some people who don't. So if they want to follow your goings-ons where are you on social media and what's your tagline so people, people can find you?
2: Um, yeah, so I guess Instagram is the thing I use the most because I still feel visually creative from my photography days. So Conway underscore Sean. Uh, same on, on Twitter. Otherwise, search Sean Conway on Facebook. Um, SeanConway.com is my website. Discovery Channel has, has a hub and a section on, on me and you can download my shows on iTunes and Google Play. And my next show comes out 30th of august so 30th oh soon
1: very soon then
2: next tuesday so a week today uh while we're recording this so tuesday the 30th it's three nights in a row 10 p.m discovery channel all about the world's longest triathlon it's gonna be i'm really proud of this one it was a really tough adventure um it's a really honest portrayal of how it went all the highs all the lows um and yeah, I just, I can't wait to actually kind of share it finally with everyone after sort of, you know, everyone following me online and on social media. So uh to yeah, that. tune in, 30th, 30th of all. S-
1: series link it, done.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> now, just before we, we, we leave you to get on with your day, you have an amazing beard, and but there is a reason behind it.
2: Yeah, so... 2013, I was swimming across the Irish Sea from from Wales to Ireland because it was quicker than going up Wales, and I was just getting hit in the face by jellyfish all the time. Jellyfish just kept getting sort of like stuck to my face and tentacles going up my nose and everything. And it was after about a week of this happening where I had a bit of a beard, a, a really small one like your guys. <laughs> uh, a, a, sort of actually, it was probably just stubble to be fair, and I realised the beard was stopping my face um, being stung by the actual jellyfish mm. tentacles because they weren't touching my skin. So from that day on, I was like, right, that's it. I'm just going to grow a massive beard to shield my face from jellyfish stings. Um, and I kind of then found out it gives me superpowers. So <laughs> well, we all know uh, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. People
1: with yeah,
2: beards exactly. know you guys are starting to feel it now. Yeah. Give it another year and you'll you'll be right involved. <laughs> I, I think it's the
1: ginger bean as well. So Byron ba- seems <laughs> to have more superpowers than that. Yeah, no,
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got to embrace the ginger.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sean it's been absolutely great having you on I'm uh, so thankful that you you managed to, to find time I, I know that people will most definitely be inspired by your stories the things you've done and the fact that you've just thought you know if, what if you've not
1: been inspired you've got a problem
0: yeah <laughs> just screw it just make it happen and that's an attitude we love and we absolutely embrace adventure and just making things happen and that's what you've done
2: yeah you know I just I want to end off with just saying you know you don't I was in a pretty pretty desperate situation and i took it to the extreme level you don't have to do that alistair humphreys uh, obviously has a mass a great philosophy yeah. on on micro adventures mm-hmm. you know if you haven't looked up Al humphreys you've got to do that now you know he he famously says you you, you may work from 9 to 5 but you've also got five, from 5 to 9 you know i say you've, you divide your your day into three sections of eight 8 hours work 8 hours sleep probably have less sleep to be honest 8 hours play and we don't really make most of the 8 hours play bit you know and you know, if you're good at anything now, guys, you know, there's the opportunity to, to go out there and actually have a pretty awesome existence on this planet and actually live on this planet rather than just, you know, living in, in an outdated uh, idea of, of just working to, to provide money to, you know, give yourself food and shelter. Um, so go out there, follow your dreams, everyone, um, and send me a tweet when, you, when you're doing it and I'd love to sort of uh, follow it. So, yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers,
0: Sean. Cheers, thanks, thanks so much.
2: Cool,
0: guys, catch you later. Cheers. Yeah. Sean Conway, what a guy. Yep, I'm. I'm, I'm inspired. <laughs> I am. I'm just. I- I think I might dust my bike off out of the garage and just start I, I don't even know where my bike is, so <laughs> that won't be happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, inspiring story, inspiring guy. Uh, I'm intrigued to find out what his next adventure is going to be. But it's going to be under the radar, his next one. Yeah, uh, he says it's going to be under the radar, but I'm sure he'll
1: be putting out some snippets. As he said, his show comes out next week. It um, is, so and I'm going to check it out. All his details will be in the description. You can check out his website. You can also check out where to buy his books I think, because when I had look, they're all on Amazon. So if you want to get hold of them on Amazon, uh, then you can get them on there. If not, email him through his website and you can get a signed copy from him because he said it during the show. So he did indeed. We have Ivan Carter coming on in two weeks time. This is going to be an absolutely incredible show. We've been waiting for months to get him on only for due to the fact that he it's is a, very such busy a busy man and he is on the front line in Africa doing conservation efforts and we talk all about it it's uh Uh, it's a pretty special podcast Uh, it's going to be one of those shows
0: where you really need to share that with people who don't understand or don't already embrace the idea that to make wildlife conservation work we need to look at multiple different ways of tackling the issue you know whether that be hunting or photographic safaris or just education Uh, ivan carter hits the nail on the head he's he's such an articulate man and he has some brilliant views and opinions and and you
1: can't you can't argue away from this from it because he is on the ground the front line he's spending 200 days of the year in africa doing conservation work be it anti-poaching dehorning rhino um conservation efforts everywhere and you really do get into the nitty-gritty and the explanation behind hunting and conservation photographic tours and and all these these different things so it's uh it's going to be a great show that's out in two weeks time we are
0: not going to be announcing a winner for our prize this week because no. as we said at the start of the show it's running over two shows so two weeks ago we told you you could win a coldwell front shooting rest which I held up at the front of the show for the YouTube listeners. It's, it's a really tremendous prize. So we thought, right, we really need to have this over two shows. Make sure that everyone has plenty of time yep. to enter. And if There's you no wa- excuses. There is no. There is uh, but no I'm going to tell you again how you enter so that there is, so that there is no excuses. Unfortunately, you're going to have to be a Facebook user, but a load of people are, or you probably know somebody who does use Facebook. Find our Facebook page, Podcast Into the Wilderness. Find the pinned post and tag a friend in it. Simple, Simple as, as that. that you'll all be
1: entered and randomly selected done and dusted now we've got a few other little things to announce if you go on thepacebrothers.com which is our relatively new website we now have opened a shop you can we're taking pre-orders on our dvds of pace brothers into the wilderness which will be out in december this year basically Uh, we've also got t-shirts mugs on pre-order, and the main reason they're on pre-order is we're not actually going to be here for the next month. We're going to be not in more. Norway. Six, six weeks, six we're pretty weeks, much. Six weeks we away. Them, yeah. So after we come back, then we're going to start fulfilling orders. But pre-orders are being taken, and we're giving back to conservation. So we are uh, ten, ten percent of all ten percent uh, of all profits to to will so. be going straight back into conservation efforts around the world. We haven't decided. Quite yet where they're going. We're just going to wait a few months and then we're going to see where we think we want to put in it. In fact, we might even ask the ask yeah, the listeners we could do that. Uh, no. where, where it's going to go. But yeah, check out the dot com. We've also got some new adventure hunting um, page as well. If you want to come and join us,
0: yes, we do. If you want to come and hunt with us, then you need to go and check that out. We will be posting it over social media. Actually, in the the next couple of weeks, we're giving people who listen to the show the opportunity. Uh, to come and experience hunting the way that we like to experience it. So go to thepacebrothers.com, find the tab that talks uh, that has wilderness hunting in it. It's going to give you a description, and at the bottom of there, there's a little form. Fill in it in. Fill it in if you're interested. Hopefully, in the next week or so, we'll have some prices up there. Uh, but for now, it's going to explain basically what we're going to do it's going to be very very limited because we want to keep the the experience as pure and honest as we, we possibly can uh, so that you get to see basically what we do so we're going to have uh, two hunts this season in scotland uh, one probably this side of the new year and one in the start of 2017 uh, for two people on each hunt So it's pretty limited. Uh, We're not quite sure how we're going to end up selecting people because we've already had quite a few people uh, contact us who are interested. But once we have all of
1: the full details, we'll send it out to everyone and see who comes I guess once people figure out dates and stuff like that, it will start. It will basically determine who's uh, coming. Now, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We are getting uh, quite a large number of uh, Instagram followers now. So if you are into Instagram, which I think is an absolutely brilliant platform, it's just pictures. That's all it is. And we enjoy putting pictures up of what we're doing. So, yeah, check us out on Instagram as well. And com. Subscribe to the show. Everyone subscribe. Subscribe yep. to the podcast. It. Share it with a friend. Yep. It is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and it also on YouTube as well. And we give away prizes every two weeks. And keep leaving reviews because we've just got another review yesterday. And if you look at all of the rest of the hunting conservation kind of podcasts... We've got more reviews than most of them. It's quite staggering. So and to that's... the person that gave us one star, really,
0: really <laughs> one star? I think that might have been <laughs> somebody who was... Just uh, didn't uh, like anti-hunter us. Uh, anti-hunter. Yeah, maybe I, I, didn't, maybe didn't like us. Really, But the thing Fair is, enough.
1: if you don't like the show, maybe it's worth a two, a one star.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you think it's worth, uh, our listeners, do you think it's worth more than one star? I hope so. Judging by the other 30-odd people that have given it <laughs> five stars, I think most people probably agree.
1: I could understand if it was one star and they were paying for it. Did they leave a comment? No, it was just a just start, a one star review. Just a one star oh, no. rating. At least yeah. if you're
0: gonna one star, yeah, tell them why we're rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> I would prefer that if
1: I knew why I was rubbish.
0: Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody who tunes in every two weeks, and if you're a new listener, welcome. Go back and check out our back catalogue.
1: There's loads of them, and we know that we've been getting loads of new listeners because we've just broken our record month again. Yes, we have about uh, three months in a row now has been record month. Yes. So uh, yeah, so all the new listeners go and check out the previous uh well it'll almost be thirty shows. Yeah, there's uh, plenty to choose from. Hours and hours of uh great content to listen to. And we have a discount code for people that oh, drink coffee. If black you want, rifle coffee. If you company. want 17% off black rifle coffee, then just use the promo Pace Bros. P A C E B R O S. Capitals done. Seventeen percent off. Get your coffee. We drink it anyway. We've drunk Black rifle coffee for months and months and the guys there uh, have uh, given us a discount code so yeah they have so you just got to visit
0: their website and you can use our discount code and that will get you 17 percent off which is really great because it means that you can bring it into the uk and it's basically the same price as uh, buying it in the states which is cool don't forget that this podcast is uh, only made possible by the support of our sponsor the scottish association for country sports Go check them out on Facebook. Uh, They have daily updates on the goings-on in the countryside, and it is a brilliant way to keep up to date with the really important issues. And we we try and bring you some of those uh, as and when they come up as well.
1: Yep. Thanks for listening.